0: Yeah, New Year, short little thing, right? Two weeks ago, we jumped into a new sermon series about the family of God. And I did my best to kick it off by bringing before you a challenge to consider that is radically different in our day-to-day among Christians. I challenged you to consider actually committing to one local church. And you can see it really shouldn't be this one. So some of you could get on out of here. (laughs) And it wouldn't break my heart if I knew you were plugged into another good one. There's other good ones. But I challenged you to stop dating the church. Some of you are filling up a seat here, but it's because you're dating the church. We're just one of your girlfriends. You're not committed here. You do some other churches too. And we know it. All right, you're out there dating. You're dating the church. And so I challenged you, put a ring on it by saying, I do to one local church for better or worse. And you'll find some of both when you get there. In sickness and in health, there'll be some of both. Does the bride of Jesus ever get sick? Yes, but that's the reason sometimes people say, I want nothing to do with the church. Hey, I hope you don't approach it that way in your own marriage when your spouse is sick. There's gonna be times where it's in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty. And I gave you a list of reasons as to why not, oh, so the church, our church and other churches would boost its membership total. Whatever, that's not, that's not our concern. I gave you reasons why it's actually good for you. Really good for you. And the Bible says it's really good. And I said there was one that I would come back to and unpack some more. And that's what I'm gonna start today. I said one of the biggest reasons that you should join a local church is that when you do, it makes a huge statement about you. It says, I am really serious about spiritual growth. Now, every believer has enough sense to say, do you care about spiritual growth? Oh yeah, 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 bring it. When you join a local church, it moves you out of fuzzy land. We love to stay in fuzzy land. That way you and no one else has any idea if you're really doing what you said you wanted to do. Fuzzy land. When you say yes to one local church, it moves you out of fuzzy land and into the nitty Gritty specifics of everyday life on two really important levels. What it says when you join a church is that number one, you're willing to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders in your life. It's not like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, who's your leader? Who have you submitted to and said, yes, shepherd me, help me, come after me if you need to, help me stay on track and finish well? And secondly, When you join a specific local church, it says, I am willing to love a specific group of believers. It's easy to say, you want to love other Christians? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to love them. When you get a specific group that you didn't get to choose to vet or sift to see if they're all easy to love. The local church is a lot like a box of chocolates. You just get what you get. I wish they were all milk chocolate with caramel in the middle. But some of those things got that white nasty stuff inside and pink and some of us got nuts. We got some nuts in the church too. You're gonna find all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't have chosen that you'd like to stick your thumb in and crush and walk away. But God calls you to love that person. Oh, we move out of fuzzy land into the nitty gritty spirit and that's when you begin to grow. That's when you become more like Christ. That's when you see how much you need to grow serious about spiritual growth. So what I'm going to do to try to help you on those two levels to find out what would it look like to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders? What would it look like to love a specific group of believers? We're going to dig into Hebrews chapter 13, two weeks in a row, this week and next week. So jump to Hebrews chapter 13 and you follow along as I read the whole chapter because we're going to dig in it for two weeks. Hebrews chapter 13. the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the l- let me help you here. this entire book, he's been contrasting old covenant in the Old Testament under the law, worship and sacrifice to new covenant worship with Jesus Christ as our high priest, who offered his life as the final sacrifice. That's what he's thought about here. We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. with my word of exhortation. For I've written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Now, lots going on there. So we're gonna dig into it today and next week. But before we jump into any details I wanna put you in the ballpark, frame it up, because we just jumped in at the final chapter of a book at the closing. And so I don't want you, if you know anything about Hebrews, then you know this is one of the most glorious doctrinal books that you could find where he's been lifting up the glories of Jesus Christ as better and a better sacrifice and a better mediator and a better city and a better inheritance. It has been, it is some of the richest doctrine that you would find about Jesus and about our salvation. But don't make a mistake here, when you get to chapter 13, if you're not really thinking clearly, it can seem like such a shock and a shift that it looks like he just hit stop and this is just some random list of housekeeping stuff all thrown together along with some ethical rules. That is not what's going on, not at all. He is concluding, in light of all this, he's bringing it back to what does acceptable new covenant under grace with Jesus as our high priest worship look like? And how do you persevere? Because this letter was written to believers who were tempted to quit. They were suffering. They were facing hard times. And the whole book's been about how do you endure? How do you endure? How do you endure? And he's given us, one of the ways you endure is you know who Jesus is and what he's done for you and where you're headed. But now chapter 13 is bringing another piece. Yes, doctrine matters. But what he's saying is you actually need a local church of other believers at close range in your life to finish well. That's what he's doing in chapter 13. He's unpacking that practical out of fuzzy land into nitty gritty specifics piece of the Christian life. So let's answer that first question. What would it look like to love a specific group of other believers? And next week we'll go after what would it look like to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders. What would it look like to love a specific group of other believers? Well, here's the first thing he leads out with. You are willing to love deeply and speak truthfully. Look at verse 1, chapter 13. Let love let brotherly love continue, continue, continue. Now, why do you think he adds that word? Let brotherly love continue. I'll tell you why. If you know anything about you ever had a roommate? Oh, we're best friends, let's room together next semester. What happened? Friendship over. I watched that happen over and over in college to the point that I was like, if you really want to stay friends, don't room together. You start rooming together, you get married. You start working closely together. You're like, oh, I wish I could have Bill and Sally on my team at work, and then you do. And you're like, oh, I wish I didn't. Here's what happens. Folks, the challenge is not beginning to love anyone. People fall in love, get swept up in love, or taken by love. That's not the challenge. The challenge is continuing to love the same person or same group of people after you get to know them better, after the honeymoon is over, and after you've bumped right up against the dark side of that person and there will always be a dark side because they're sinners. That's the challenge. How do you keep loving other real people at close range. And I hope you realize this book was 12 chapters of glorious grand doctrine, and we need it. But folks, if all you do is grow in your understanding of doctrine, deeper doctrine, deeper doctrine, and you don't know how to love another believer, you're useless in the kingdom. The world is not impressed by you being able to spout deep doctrine. The world takes notice Genuine love is to be our greatest and most powerful apologetic to a lost and dying world. Guess why? They don't know how to love each other. They hate each other. They're bitter. They're unforgiving. They have grudges. They slander. And when they see Christians acting the same way, they don't care if you can draw an end-time chart. Shut up, you and your chart. When they hear that, that you're going to the second service, not because it works for your schedule, but because Sally's in the first and I don't speak to her. That's why we have multiple services, so that people that hate each other don't have to see each other. <laughs> That's not why we went to multiple services. Oh, we have another campus, because those people were so put out with them, we exiled them to Fort Thomas. No, 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 no. When they listen to you and they see, you don't forgive, you're bitter, you struggle, and they say, you Christians talk about a big God and a big Jesus and death and resurrection, and, but I got what you got. I'm bitter, you're bitter. I don't forgive people, you don't forgive people. Like, I don't need what you have. I've already got that. The greatest, Jesus, right? His last sermon was not a super complicated doctrinal one. It involved taking off his outer garment, getting on his knees, picking up a bowl and a towel, and doing what? Washing feet. Washing feet. And then he wrapped the whole thing up by looking at them and saying, they will know you are my disciples by your, for who? For each other. And that's hard when you're close to people. Once you see the dark side, once it's bumped up against you and impacted you significantly. So I want you to understand, it's it's cool that the word that he uses for love right there, let brotherly love continue, is the Greek word Philadelphia. Not eros, not agape. Philadelphia, brotherly, or love between siblings in a family. So see, it's not just Grace Fellowship that said, oh, what a cool metaphor, let's call the church family and kind of push that. Our marketing communication team didn't come up with that. That's the Bible that said, a local church is supposed to be a family and his brothers and sisters. It's the love that siblings, now do siblings ever fight? Do siblings ever struggle with each other? So therefore stop saying, oh, but man, when I get with other believers in the local church, it's so hard. Do you struggle sometimes in your biological family? Is it hard work? Do you have to humble yourself? Do you have to talk? Do you have to work things out? Welcome to the family of God. Love, brotherly, which indicates the local church is a family, not a club. Not a business, family. And so this family love is more than a feeling. Let me tell you what distinguishes family love from some other loves. In family love, typically, if it's gonna be a healthy family, I know some of you did not have that, you gotta talk. You say, my family never did. Yeah, was that good? No. You give each other permission to speak on a level that normally doesn't happen outside the home. Usually when we're together with other people at a club or a class, we've kind of unwritten, it's unspoken. We've given each other permission to speak on one level, on one point. If you're a bird watching club, we're talking about birds. We're having a frothy discussion about the tawny crowned pygmy tyrant. (laughs) And so if in the middle of that discussion you look at me and say, I don't know why you keep dating her. She's no good for you. Or if someone else reached across the table and said, hey, I've been wanting to talk about, to you about the way I see you spending your money, you'd say, well, we are here to talk about birds. Why don't you mind your own? You said, Brad, I thought that's how the church was too. We just get together and we talk about Jesus in a safe, superficial, the Bible, heaven, Jesus, not my life. And I know there's a lot of churches, that's exactly how it works. The reason we've called you to get in community groups is most conversations, there's some exceptions, that happen on Sunday in a group this size in the foyer are safe and superficial. More lying happens on Sunday than any other day of the week. How's it going? Great. How are you? Great. Lie, 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 lie. (laughs) It's not great. But we all also realize I don't think now is the time right here you're hurrying to teach a kid's class, I'm hurrying in there for worship, not missing sermon, so I get it. But the Bible says that this kind of family love includes a context where we actually speak to each other on a level that's beyond safe and superficial. You say, Brad, how do you know that? Because in this same book, he already went there. Jump back to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three, beginning of verse twelve. Hebrews three, verse twelve. Look at what it says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, who's he writing to, Christians or non-Christians? Christians. Christians. Can Christians struggle with and begin to drift over into an unbelieving heart? Oh, yes, I hope you realize that. We got to hold on to each other. We're still fighting this flesh that lies to you and says, God's promises are not real. It's not real. He's forsaken you. He's abandoned you. Don't trust, don't trust, don't trust. Go with your feeling that's raging right now. We gotta hold on to each other. And he says, verse 13 is the answer for that struggle. How are we gonna keep from going towards an evil, unbelieving heart? Look at verse 13. But exhort one another. How often? How often? Every day, daily. Exhort one another daily while it is still today. Whenever you see the Bible refer to while it is still today, it's just contrasting before he returns. When the Bible talks about that day, it's talking about Christ's second coming, the final judgment, it's all over, new heaven, new earth. While it is still today, while it is still today, we gotta be exhorting one another, talking to each other, helping each other. Again, that none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Can we as believers get deceived into doing and thinking things we should never do or think? Especially when you're all by yourself with nothing but your own thoughts. That's why we have each other, each other. Lest you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And again, what's the basis? On what basis? Why would we relate this way? For we have come to share in Christ. Family, family. We're in the same family, same local church, same savior, same hope, same inheritance, same promises. And so what he is saying is this labor of love, we're gonna get next week to spiritual leaders who are to work in your life. But before he ever gets to chapter 13, he's saying, guess what? We're supposed to be shepherding each other. You. The, the word ex- exhort one another right there in Hebrews chapter three is the Greek word para kaleo. Para is a word we use to get parallel. You come alongside someone and kaleo means to call out or to bring to mind and remind. It's a word that means to guide, shepherd, coach, lead, teach. We're to be guiding, shepherding, coach. That's why I love the community groups, you guys, that we've said we don't want all the singles in one group, all the young married couples, everybody with teenagers, everybody that always raised their, already raised their, all the golden oldies, there's such a blessing to have an older person in your small group that already raised kids and a single who's not married yet and a young couple that's only been married four months and you watch the body of Christ help each other and that's how you begin to be aware of what needs even are at close range on a smaller level than what happens here. It's wonderful. We do not encourage you to get in a community group just so you could have one more Bible teaching time. hope that doesn't sound terrible. We actually think Sunday is quite good. That's enough to chew on. That's enough to think about. That's enough to repent on. What we need is what doesn't happen well in a group this size. To exhort one another to speak into each other's lives on a family level that's beyond bird club or class or gun club where there's clear rules what we talk to each other about. Why? So that we can all finish well so that we can be serious about our spiritual growth, so that we keep from drifting off into somewhere we should not be and should not go. But I know what you might be thinking, Brad, are you serious? Why would I let someone else in this church family speak into my life that doesn't have a theological degree and might not be smarter than me and maybe is not even a certified counselor or a therapist? What qualifications do they have? Glad you asked. Let me give you two. There's more than two, but let me give you two. Here's the qualifications another believer has to be used by God to speak into your life. Number one, God has given every believer his spirit. Not just elders and deacons and top people with titles. Every believer has the spirit of God. So God can be working and helping them and he's gifted them and they might be just what you need at this season in your life. So that's the first thing. Second, here's what qualifies them. They are not you. Now if that confuses you. Let me help you. I hope you realize one of our biggest problems as a sinful human being is the inability we have to think outside of our own categories and think there are no other options or to see ourselves as we really are. Other believers have the spirit. Other believers are not you. Now let me prove that, how we can't see ourselves, how we can't think outside. It's a silly thing, but you know, we just had Christmas. When you take a group picture in front of the Christmas tree and then everyone's got to give their permission for it, goes out on social media. Everybody like it? Uh-uh, no, we got to take it again, why? I don't care what anybody else looks like, I'm looking for me. If I don't look good, the whole picture is bad. But here's the truth of it. it's like, oh no, 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 we got to do that again, that was bad lighting. No, everyone else thinks to themselves, that's what you look like. Always, we see it all the time. You're the only one that doesn't know that. It's not bad lighting. It wasn't a bad sweater. That's you. You just think you look different than that, but you don't. We're all like, yeah, Jew. you. Now, that's not me. That is not me. We got to retake it for that, but we need natural outside lighting. Let's get outside. I know it's bitter cold, but outside lighting, that would solve it. And the truth of the matter is, that's what you look like. And we've all been loving you anyway. We love you just like that. You're the only one that doesn't know you look that way. And the same thing with sound, right? Most of you don't listen to yourselves, but most people who hear a recording of themselves, same thing. Oh, tell me I don't sound like that. You sound just like that. Every day. You're the only one that doesn't know it. Because as your voice resonates inside your skull and face, it's different to you, but that's how you are to us, and we love you. So we don't have the ability to truly see ourselves or think beyond the fixed categories we already have with our thoughts. Oh, so helpful to have another brother or sister that can see what you do not see and can think maybe beyond or outside of what you've been thinking. Exhort one another. Shepherd, guide, coach, help. And it is a beautiful thing when you have different people of different ages and different backgrounds and different walks with the Lord He meant for this to be going on. Grace Fellowship just didn't think of this. This is normal Christian living. This is the family of God. And there's a great loss when Christians begin to settle into, all I need is great teaching, either live on Sunday or with my podcast, and great worship music, and read occasional books. Fuzzy land. Fuzzy land. Join a local church and start loving specific believers on a level that's beyond the bird watching club and watch what happens. Watch what happens in your own life and watch how God uses you in the lives of others. But let me give you a second, second characteristic of what it looks like to love specific believers. Number two, he brings in this chapter that you're willing to suffer with those who are struggling in ways that you cannot relate to because it never happened to you. I can't relate to that, that's never happened to me. Well, if you get in a church family that you didn't sift and vet and pick everybody, you're gonna have people in that church family who have suffered and are suffering in ways that you're like, I just cannot relate to that. But here's the mistake we sometimes make, and so I hope God brings somebody alongside them who's been through that very thing who can help them. And I do too, but here's what you need to realize. God actually intended that we can still help each other even if you have not been through that exactly. Look at the example he gives because I believe it's simply an example. It wasn't meant to be limited. Look at verse three in chapter 13 again. Remember those who are in prison. See, in that day, they were starting to imprison some of the Christians and drag them off. And even while others were visiting them, they were confiscating their property, ransacking their houses. It was a tough, tough, tough season. it's was like, oh my goodness, you're not all in prison, but remember those who are, and here's the key phrase, as though, as though you also were in prison. And those who are mistreated, Why, again, on what basis? Since you are also in the body. If it's happening to them, it's happening to you because we're family. And so you say, God, I I can't relate to that. You say, well, what should I do, Brad? I hope you realize Job's friends, when they traveled and sat with him, they were excellent for seven days because they didn't, didn't speak. It's when they opened their mouths that it was so horrific. Do you realize, instead of pulling back and saying, oh, I can't relate to addiction and what her husband's doing now. Oh, I can't relate to divorce. Oh, I can't relate to the onset of Alzheimer's and aging. And oh, I can't relate to, you don't have to solve it. In fact, please don't try to. But when you say, I'd love to take you out for coffee and listen to you, that must be so hard. And you let them tell you, guess what starts to happen? You sit with someone going through a divorce. You sit with someone who has an addict in their family. You sit with someone who is experiencing a loved one with the onset of Alzheimer's disease. You begin to understand more and more. And you get a heart that is more and more like the heart of our Savior. And you're tender. And you cry easier. And you feel for them. That's how he intended. He did not intend for us all to wait for someone who exactly has that. Now you might think of somebody and offer it to them. Say, so you may not know our church family is so large, but so-and-so has experienced the same thing. You could reach out to them or I'll do it for you if you want me to. Feel free to connect them with someone else. But start with you. Remember those who are in prison as though you and those who are mistreated We can do it. God intends to use us with his spirit to be a comfort. And one of the greatest comforts is good listening and compassion and care. So this passage calls us not to pull away, but to lean in because we're part of the family of God. Let me show you a third characteristic. So we're loving deeply and speaking truthful. It's not a club. It's not just a class. We're saying, God, help me to know what that feels like. And more and more, you're gonna be around someone who's going through a divorce. Don't isolate them, don't pull back, don't shun them. Someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction. They're in our family, our church family. Please don't keep thinking, well, those people out there somewhere. They're not out there somewhere, they're here. And it hurts them and it causes them to go silent when they hear you talk about it in a way that makes it sound like you think that is so different than other sins. How could they? Why would they? You guys, every struggle known to mankind is in our church family. Right here. Real people who love Jesus and need encouragement as they fight the good fight of faith. They don't need to be pushed off into a special little group. So we say, God, help me to, to know what that would feel like and to care. But number three, he says, you're willing to pursue and promote living radically different than the rest of the world. Oh my goodness, we're gonna need help. It's done better in a group. Just all by yourself, you will likely not live as radical as the Bible calls us to live. You will not stay as pure as the Bible calls us to stay pure. With each other, it's better. With each other, we can do better, we can go longer. We don't get hardened, we don't get as deceived, we don't get as confused. And here's another think is interesting. I never read my Bible and think, man, I wish it was relevant to today. I know I'm supposed to read it, but oh, it just seems so old, antiquated. And Folks, he gives two examples. Here's what he does on this. He grabs two issues that were hot issues in that day. Guess what? Just as hot today. Sexuality and money. That's what he's doing in verse four and five. Sexuality and money. These are two of the hardest areas that we face, two of the areas where we need help. But here's what I think is interesting. Both of those areas, even when I say them, you might have felt it. My sexuality is personal, that's mine. My money is, both these areas are near and dear to us and we would like to push them into a category of, that's off limits, I just deal with that all by myself. And we're living in a better day where people are holding each other accountable with with pornography or sexuality or whatever. Folks, guess what? We should probably do the same thing regarding money. Don't hear me saying, I say to you at small group, show me your W-2. And when you print off that church giving statement, give me a copy too, big guy, and we'll talk. Not saying that. But we need to get over what's off limits because people are going down in flames with their money and with their sexuality. It's not supposed to be, well, let's just talk about parenting. Let's just talk about a few other things, but not those. Those are the very things he goes after. Those two issues, because we struggle the most and people go down in flames so often over those two. So he starts in verse four and says, look, here's what's going on with sexuality. You, you should be the group that refuses to live as if there are no sexual guidelines other than personal preference and pleasure. Verse four, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed, that's a euphemism for sexual intimacy, be undefiled. What about all other forms of sexual intimacy? God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Oh, we live in a day-to-day, in a culture that cannot imagine you exercising any restraint over any sexual urge. They're so fond of saying, if that's my sexual desire, I was made this way, and so I have the right to fulfill that sexual desire any way I want, with anyone I want, at any time I want. And then they love to throw this in there, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, News alert. Sex between singles, jumping from bed to bed, and treating sexual intimacy as no more than a handshake after three dates. You tell me, are girls and guys getting hurt? Oh my goodness, is that impacting them? Yes, do they carry scars with them? Yes, married couples who have bought the lie that our world teaches that, oh, as soon as I feel this feeling like I've never felt before with this woman at work, it can't be wrong. It feels so right. Well, turn off country music and pick up your Bible (laughs) because you can have a really strong feeling that is so wrong, so wicked, so ungodly. Sorry, it's not like, oh, but I feel this. And, and then they love to say, and we never should have gotten married anyway. Please shut up. You are married. And so here we are in a world that says if you don't really feel that for them anymore, but you do here, in this and move there. We've got men who are up to their eyeballs, and women with pornography and chat rooms and online this and that, and you tell me, does that affect them and hurt others around them, or is that just their own private personal pleasure, and we should leave that alone? It's your mind. And it begins to change how a guy even views a woman and what he thinks about her and how he would treat her and what he would want or not want. It begins to change a woman's mind and heart and how she approaches sexuality. Folks, God is a good God. He's not a killjoy. He's not up there saying, I'm giving you all these sexual pleasures and then putting up stop signs that say, no, 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 no. I love to make you unhappy. That is not our God. He thought of sex. He designed it. He made it pleasurable and then said, here's how to use it because I'm good and I want you to experience good. But we've got a world that is saying something so different. This fight, you will fight better with other believers at close range where you can say, I'm really struggling with and you say it and you allow others to hold on to you and pray for you and help you. But it's not just sexuality, The second part of this is no less radical. Verse five is no less radical when he says, and notice how the wording is. It's not automatic. Oh, as soon as I got saved, wow. Those that are in our church family that struggle with same-sex attraction. Folks, I hope you realize you can love Jesus passionately and still struggle intensely with same-sex attraction. When you got saved, did you cease struggling or being tempted to look at another woman or another guy or pornography or what? So, why do we expect them? To, like, you wouldn't feel that way if you really loved Jesus. He did not promise that the temptation or the struggle would go away. The Bible simply says when you trust Christ and you're a Christian, you now have a new power you never had before to say no, but this can be a knockdown, drag out, and you now have a new family to help you and hold on to you and do this with you. And the money thing's the same way. Notice it doesn't say, oh, praise God, once you become a Christian, all I wanna do is just give away my money, take it, take it. You too, all of it. <laughs> oh, he'll take care of me. I don't know about you, no. I still have a bit of a golem, My precious, <laughs> man, man, they were tired for this. We may need this. Braces, new car, new house. There's a lot of stuff people have that I don't have yet. The more monster doesn't die when you trust Christ. There's just still this lie. More. How much is enough? I don't know, but we're not there yet. More, more, more. These two areas, sexuality and money are because our world, right? Our world is pushing us relentlessly towards discontentment. As soon as you, let me save you a lot of trouble. As soon as you have what is it, whatever that is, the land ro- rover, ranger, blah, 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 in no time at all, that ain't it. As soon as you're living in the neighborhood that's it, it's no longer it. You got the shirt with the tag that's it, it's not it. On and on and on and on could go. It is an unending quest of dissatisfaction in both areas, sexuality and money. So he says, you're gonna need other believers to keep using money instead of loving it. So here's the mistake I hear people make. The Bible does not teach money is the root of all evil. It teaches, 1 Timothy, the love of money. And it doesn't even say it's the root. It says, is a root of all kinds of evil. God does not want us to just try not to handle it. He wants us to handle it in a godly way. And I hope you realize this. One of the best ways to not love money, I hope you figured this out. You don't wanna just pray over your paycheck and say, I don't wanna love this. Don't wanna love this, God. Let me tell you how not to love it. Give a bunch of it away. And again, I'm saying this in a context where we don't need your money. So this is not like, well, he's saying that because they're about to fire people. Nope. Last year's offerings exceeded the budget again. Thank you. You know who needs? You do. You need to experience giving. The best way to not love it is release. A lot of it. A lot of it. That's why I look at verse 16. Look at what he says in verse 16. This is not random. He says, do good and share what you Have, do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He brings it again back in the context of worship. It is worship when you love other believers at close range and listen to someone who suffered in ways you can't imagine. That's an act of worship. It's worship when you meet a need and you share, notice, what you have. As a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this. Whenever I push giving, And please know, we we don't need it here. This chapter's in the context of, you're aware of someone who really needs a house payment made, someone who's out of work, someone who needed Christmas gifts, someone who has some medical bills that have piled up out of pocket that they can't pay. This is what I'm talking about here. Share what you have. When you're in fuzzy land and you're not in any particular church, you rarely know any real need. But if you get in a real church, a local church, at close range, you will know. That's why he says, do not neglect To do good. Don't say, well, I'm gonna pray. God would show me some opportunities. They're there. You're gonna see them. You're gonna hear about them. Don't neglect to lean in. And don't say, well, I hope someone meets that need, but it's not us right now. People will say, well, if I had more, I'd give more, Brad. Shut up. Whatever you have, whatever you have, you should give enough of it away that it hurts. It hurts. It hurts, it pinches, it changes what you can do now. Whatever that is, you decide, but God thought we needed help, that's why He said, let me put you in the ballpark. Start with at least 10%. You're like, 10%, shut up. Yeah, because it's supposed to hurt, it's supposed to be radical, it's supposed to be, that's how I'm not gonna love it, because I'm releasing it, and here's the beauty. I've been saying this for 23 years, but it is still true, you guys. When God sees that every dollar he sends your way just stays with you, just, it's a cul-de-sac. It's a cesspool. He just thinks, okay, all right, there's, there's another one lost. Who else is a channel? Who else has streams going out? In them? Who else is listening to my spirit? Who else leans in and tries to meet needs? Because I hope you realize when someone in our body is praying and saying, I don't know how I'm gonna make this house payment. I don't know how we're gonna... God has never just dropped a bag of money like through the roof and now they've got money to pay the bill and fix the roof. It's never happened that way. Just Oh my word, put it on YouTube. How does God meet that need? He lays it on the heart of another brother or sister who's in a real church at close range where real things are being talked about to the extent that you knew that and the spirit prompts you, why don't you, pay that. Why don't you help and this is how it works. And I love it. I love it. On a regular basis he lays someone or some need on my heart. But it's just things I'm hearing in our small group or I'm hearing in our church and I know you're hearing it too. Don't neglect to do good and to share what you So when you're in a church family it puts you in a great context. You're at a fuzzy land. Well I don't know who I'd help. Well here you go. And you're going to see people who have more than you But in a local church, you're gonna see people that have less than you. And that's helpful. That puts things in perspective. Now, both of these are so radical, sexuality and money. You say, Brad, how am I gonna consistently live this way and love other people this way? You mean give this much of my time to sit with someone who's struggling in ways I can't relate and really listen to them, to give away money to the extent that it actually pinches and hurts? So many things I love about the Bible, but here's one of them that you see happening in this chapter. The Bible never just says, do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. Oh, it's got plenty of commands. His commands are always framed up in the context of, and here's how, and here's why. So if you're sitting there thinking, "Ah, I don't know, my time is so precious and my money is so precious, like how would I, look at what's going on. Look at what he's put this in context of and how he's framed this up. In the second half of verse five, basically he's saying, you can only love and live this way when your personal identity and security is rooted in whose you are and not who you are and all you're trying to do. Verse five, second half. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear. Now, in the English translation, this often happens. There's just a loss. Because this is one of the most powerful and precious promises in all the Bible. All the Bible. Because grammatically, the author by the Holy Spirit is, has just made this over the top. Over the top. Because he knows this sexuality thing is so hard and this money thing is so hard. In the original language, here's what it literally says. There are five Negative particles in that short phrase. I will never, never leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not. What is it that keeps us holding on to our money? Fear. And you may not realize it, But what is it that causes us to step into sexual sin very often? Fear of being alone. Well, you just have to have sex today, or I'll never have a boyfriend. The fear of being alone. Some of you are using your bodies in ways you do not think you should, and you're violating your conscience, and you're disobeying God's word, and it is driven by fear. I'm going to be alone. Fear, or you're in a marriage and it's not all you wish. The fear, this is it. It's never gonna get any better, but that right over there looks so good and I feel this fear, fear, fear. Fear drives sexual sin. Fear drives selfishness and greed and therefore he says, oh listen, you're not alone. You're not, I will never, never leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper with my sexuality. The Lord is my helper with my money. I do not have to fear. He gives us the how and the why. Why could I live this radically? But as we close, I want to draw your attention to what matters most. Because without this, it doesn't matter what we try to do for each other or what the spiritual leaders here try to do for you. It's what Jesus has done that sets in motion all that he's called us to be and do for one another. And it's in this chapter. You can see he doesn't just make this a chapter of do this, do this, do this, apart from Jesus the Bible writers always frame up didactic commands in a context of still bringing Jesus and the gospel and what he's done, because apart from that, we can never do these things he's calling us to do. Look at verse 12 again. Therefore Jesus also, that he might, this is not a random, like why in the world is that in this chapter? Because you've got to have Jesus. You've got to have your biggest problem solved first, or you will hold on to your money, or you will use your body in ways that you should not that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate he went outside the city of jerusalem to a hill called golgotha where he suffered the cruelest capital punishment that had ever been designed by the romans that was intended to be the most painful the most lingering and the most shameful it was intended to be drawn out and long it's not a quick death Very painful, very shameful. And Jesus suffered and died for our sins, shed his blood to purchase us, to sanctify us, to solve our biggest problem, to break the back of sin. Yes, you're still a sinner. Yes, you still have your flesh. Yes, you're still tempted, but praise God, you're no longer a slave to sin. And you'll experience more of an awareness of that when you fight together with others. When you're by yourself, our enemy will lie to you and say, oh, you're a slave, you're a slave, you're a slave. You can't do anything but what you've always done. He was forsaken by God and exiled outside the city to first of all bring us into a right relationship with the God of the universe and then into the family of God in fellowship with other believers so if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. But your first concern doesn't need to be joining a church. Sometimes people think, "Well, I'm going to join a church and once I'm a member that puts me in good standing. I'll have someone to be somewhere to get married, somewhere to get buried." Please don't go down that path. Jesus. That's your first concern. Never mind joining a local church. Believers join a local church so that they can grow spiritually and do all the things God calls us to do, but you start with Jesus. Jesus, do you have a right relationship with the God of the universe? Do you have peace with God? Have you been forgiven all your sins, past, present, and those you've yet to commit? Do you have that in your life? Jesus suffered outside the gate for you, for you. He'll accept you today. You can come to Jesus Christ today. You can simply pray today. Oh Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a savior. I need mercy. Mercy. I need forgiveness. You'll never relate to other people in a healthy way on a horizontal level until you first are relating to the God of the universe vertically through his son, Jesus Christ. Come to Christ oh God thank you for your word Lord thank you for not just telling us do this and don't do that but framing it all up with Jesus you never never let up on reminding us oh and here's what Jesus has done oh and here's who Jesus is and oh here's where you're headed because of Jesus oh here's what you have as an inheritance because of Jesus God thank you thank you for your word Thank you for your people. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you right now for direct access to your throne. Because of Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead. And seated at your right hand. Thank you for who you are. And what you're doing. Lord enable us. Empower us. To live radically different. In every area. But as you've brought our attention to these two, sexuality and money, may we stand out to a lost and dying world by how we love each other and how we live and conduct ourselves with our bodies and our money. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.